When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. In today's podcast, I am so excited to talk to my really dear friend, Michelle Williams from Destiny's Child about her new book, Checking In. Michelle has incredible insight into the importance of checking in with oneself. She talks about how in July 2018, she felt like she was swimming in a sea of darkness untethered and helpless and she talks about how she came back from this harrowing experience in this discussion she gives endless pearls of wisdom and hope to those suffering with depression before we dive deeper i just want to remind you that this podcast is for educational purposes and is not medical advice if you need medical advice please get advice from the appropriate medical professional and one more note before we begin With this being Mental Health Month, we have a great special for you. My latest book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, is being paired up with my other book, 101 Ways to Be Less Stressed, for only $30 and you save $11. A great help for Mental Health Month. And now, on to today's podcast. Michelle, my friend, it's so good to see you again. I'm so excited about this interview. I love you. You're such a special person. You're such a special friend. You mean so much to me. And I am thrilled to be interviewing you about your latest book that's just been released, Checking In. Congratulations and welcome. Thank you so much, friend. And I will tell you that you absolutely mean the world to me. Thank you. Thank you so much. You have made great impact on me and I just am very humbled and I don't take our connection for granted at all. Oh, and that's beautiful. I, I feel the same. You just from the first time we connected and did a live and did our 21 day detox together and done so many things since then. We talk so much. When Michelle and I get going, I have to warn you all, we don't stop. So we, we have to be very going. disciplined. We can get going and we can talk. But Michelle has been a, such an inspiration to me. You are such an inspiration. I just want to tell the viewers and the listeners, we we know that you're famous for being a singer in Destiny's Child. and But you as a person are the, one of the most beautiful people. And very quickly we bonded and became close friends and you become such a special person to me. You're such a deep person and that's reflected in your book. So I want to just immediately launch into this beautiful book called Checking In. Why did you call it Checking In? I mean, I know I've read through, so I know why, but I want to hear from you and I want the listeners Mm. because that's such an important concept. Oh gosh. Well, I named it Checking In because you know, there is history of me checking in. I had to check in in 2018 into a mental health facility. I voluntarily checked myself in. And, you know, at that time, it was embarrassing. It was humiliating. But at the same time, it took great courage and strength. And so I just wanted to encourage people, you know, to take the power. I wanted to take the power back in my story. But in And from that time of checking in, I really said, okay, well, what am I going to do from the moment that I checked out of the hospital? What, who do I check in with? So the three pillars of the book, checking in with myself, 
checking in with others, checking in with God in no particular order, because I noticed too, up until that moment of me checking in in 2018, I kind of lost the process of checking in with those three pillars. So Michelle, three pillars. I love that. Checking in with yourself, checking in with others and checking in with God. No particular order, but that's what the three pillars are. And you've got, I think it's 11 chapters in the book and you go through each chapter. You start with like a little story and like the checking in at hotels and the one with the poop in the toilet. And then there's the Nathan story. And then there's the, but each time you take your story, that, that concept and you take it and you teach the lesson that you've that you've learned from it. So let's start. I know your story, but not everyone knows your story. Let's start maybe, obviously, 2018 was a sort of climatic point in your life where you checked yourself in, but obviously there was a whole story behind that. And that's what this book is about. And you've got the chapters leading up to that. So you start with that, but then you build up to that. So can you tell us what that is? Can you talk maybe from childhood, because you refer to childhood trauma, you talk about, you know, and we all know that. We all know childhood trauma plays a role. So we all know that that, that there's roles of that in our lives and so on, but you explain it so beautifully. So where Mm. would you like to begin? Begin at the beginning or begin in the middle or wherever you like and let it flow. Well, Tell you us know, your story. Not from seventh grade to me being seven years old, but, you know, I will say starting in the seventh grade, I kind of noticed something was a little bit different about how I was feeling. You know, like, man, I'm not happy or wanting to isolate and sleep a lot more, kind of no interest in things that used to bring me joy my grades were dropping and I found myself needing a mentor and all this and all that in junior high. That's kind of the moment where you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's like you can have a boyfriend, but you can't because you can't have one in elementary school. But in junior high, it's like you almost should be, you know, well, dating as much as you can, but not too serious. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. You know, going go car riding, playing sports with your friends. And I mean, but I was raised in church. So a lot of my activities with my friends were church or faith-based, you know, are times where you should be excited about going to the movies and all that stuff with your friends. And here I am just feeling so low, but I didn't have a name for it, you know? And so I go from the seventh grade up until about my thirties without a diagnosis of figuring out what's going on. But from the seventh grade on, we'll fast forward to like, you know, the year 2000 ish when I joined Destiny's Child and, you know, having great success and then feeling in that moment that I I know I'm, you know, dealing with some depression. But once again, there was no diagnosis. I just said, well, maybe I'm tired. Maybe I'm just missing my family. This is a whole new world. And sometimes when you're dealing with depression, you feel like it's supposed to look like something. You know, you feel like something, but I didn't look like the person that they say should be depressed. When you see like you want a definition. It's like the, you know, these like like diabetes has got a definition. Yeah, you kind of want, yeah. but it doesn't have that because depression is not that kind of yeah. it. Yeah. And so I just wanted people to, and the reason why I bring that up is to let people know the music business did not make me depressed. Being in Destiny's Child and all had nothing to do with my depression. It was in there before I got in, into. So I just, you know, because, you know, I just know how people are. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was just me wanting to clear that up. And, you know, 
I just wish I would have even checked in with my parents or close friends to let them know how I was feeling. But sometimes when you grow up in a family where you don't talk about things, you just go on as long as everybody is happy. And as long as I think my parents were just like, well, the bills are paid. You got clothes on your back, food on the table and a roof over your head. You have no problems, (laughs) you know. Because there's a lot more to life than just those physical things. And so you were saying that your parents grew up in that kind of environment because it was the Great Depression and the war and all that stuff. And then so they did their grandparents. I think their parents grew up. So and a friend of mine kind of brought that to my attention. And she was saying, you know, your parents' parents grew up in that era of the Great Depression. Right. So they were trying to survive, get food. I think my my grandfather was in two wars, you know, so, you know, and so that's a that's a lot. So you not saying that my grandparents didn't love their children. It was just like. I don't have time to be mushy. I'm trying to make sure that my husband doesn't get killed in the war. Like, you know, there was a lot. And I think they just and I'm not saying that all families grew up that way. I do. I can imagine that there were families where affection was still given and shown. But I don't know if it's culturally or not. But in my family, I don't think I can just tell even by how my aunts and uncles that are married, how they interact with their spouses. There's not a lot of public affection. Mm, So interesting. So that's how you grew up. That's how they grew up. And that's kind of how it was. That's what your parents knew. So the patterns of parenting traveled Mm -hmm. through to your generation. I knew something was going on with my mom's parents because it's eight of them. Oh, yeah, that's so a we lot. Know some, <laughs> we know some affection was going on. Yeah, there's, yeah there was something going on. <laughs> it was eight, with my mother being one of eight kids, my father is, the, is an only child. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they just weren't the touchy-feely type people, I, you know. And so I just think that was then now passed on to my mom and her siblings you know, and there and how my mother raised us, there was not a lot of affection. And I can't say they understood emotional needs that needed to be met for their children. But I just don't think those emotional needs weren't met in them when they were growing up. Your mental health is and should be a priority. I learned this from my friend, Dr. Daniel Amen who is a renowned psychiatrist, neuroscientist, and founder of Amen Clinics. The Amen Clinics are unique because they use a comprehensive and holistic approach, including brain-spec imaging, to treat mental health issues. I visited an Amen Clinic and seen Dr. Amen in action, and I was able to see for myself how brain scans show that many mental health conditions, such as ADD, anxiety, and depression, are often not caused by just one thing. That's why giving everyone the same treatment will never work so you can get a treatment plan that's targeted to your needs. I love that the doctors at Amen Clinics use natural therapies wherever possible. To find out how you can change your brain and change your life, visit amenclinics.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. If you book, you'll get 10% off an evaluation when you use the promo code DrLeaf10 at checkout. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. Sometimes I find it extremely hard and stressful to ensure I'm getting all the nutrition my brain and body needs to function at an optimal level, and far too often I find supplements and powders ridiculously overpriced. That's why I love the all-in-one single-scoop formula from Athletic Greens. 
Mac and I take it to support our gut health, immune systems, improve our energy and mental clarity. The daily beverage provides 75 highly absorbable vitamins, minerals and whole food source ingredients. Their formula gives you a daily multivitamin, probiotic, prebiotic, green blend and adaptogens like ashwagandha and rhodiola. Used to address stress and anxiety or without the need to take any pills or multiple products. If you want to simplify your routine, reduce the stress of taking multiple things and drink something that actually tastes good, then adding Athletic Greens is worth a try. They are offering my readers an incredible immune-supporting bundle with a year's supply of vitamin D and 5 travel packs free with your subscription today. Simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash leaf and join health experts, athletes and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash leaf and get your free year supply of vitamin D and 5 free travel packs today. The link and details will be in the show notes. So it just it, it shows you that generational thing that passes down and there's just so much scientific research and evidence of that and you experience that in your family. And then you, you talk about your dad who died recently and how you didn't understand him, but now in hindsight, how you could see things differently. So it's like your perspective has changed and you look at things differently. I yeah. find that very interesting. You actually, if I may read a quote from your book, yes. you talk about, uh, just related to what we've just said, like all marriages, my parents went through their fair share of rocky moments. My father was a misunderstood man. I didn't relate to him because I didn't get it. But now that he's passed away, I can see it so much more clearly. I can see him so much more clearly. Think about it this way. Let's say all of our childhoods give us an adult functionality number of 1 to 10. Someone raised by great parents reaches 9 or 10 as an adult. Someone with not so great parents lands on the lower end. And then you talked about the generational thing. And then you jump, I'm going to jump down to another quote. Then you can pick it up and say whatever you'd want about this. But it wasn't enough. My home was not a peaceful place. It was a place where the tension stretched until it snapped over and over again because we just didn't talk about things. There was no checking in. As a result, my emotional needs went unmet. I was on, left on my own to deal with my reactions, feelings and worries. And I was always anxious. I mean, that's profound. And I think it just the reason I select that to read because I think that is a picture of so many people. It's such a relatable picture that it's it's such a real issue. And by you verbalizing this and more and more people talking about this, we can do something about this. We can start yeah. changing the pattern and break those patterns. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. And, you know, I, I was I'm, I'm able to come to those conclusions, you know, through talking with you and and to other amazing practitioners. Because you, we're not labeling. I'm not labeling my labeling my parents as bad. No, not at so, all. Uh, my you understand? Mother told me, yeah, my mother told me she was like, "Baby, we, you know, we did the best that we could." And so, when you talk about, like I said, you know, what they didn't get versus, you know, now they're having children of their own. It just, you know, I, I just wish that. You know, I had the affection and, or the emotional part of being with my parents because I feel like it affects relationships today or it used to. You know, now I'm able to be more vulnerable. I'm able to be transparent because for years I went feeling like feeling like it is not safe to share your emotions. It's not safe to be vulnerable, you know, or it's not even really cool to be transparent for that matter. But now as someone, I'm a 41-year-old woman, and I feel like, okay, now I understand my dad. As a man, he's probably feeling like it's not cool to be affectionate 
you know, or to, you know, I see so many dads with their sons, you know, they'll hug their son and kind of rough them up at the dinner table or something. And, you know, just, you know, showing some kind of affection, you know, but like I said, in my household, it literally was about we're getting, we're just trying to pay these bills, you know? And I remember times where me and my siblings, we'd huddle up and say, okay, well, when mom gets home, we're going to bum rush her with hugs. So she just could not take it. She shunned it. Maybe she just isn't, wasn't used to that. So you kind of shun it. But then she'd say, well, if you loved me, your room would be clean. So it's like, so you can only accept hugs if we do something. You only want conditional. You. So Yeah. So us showing you that we love you was through us cleaning our room. But from her point of view, she's probably thinking, I make sure that you guys have beautiful comforters and pillowcases and shams and you don't make your bed in the morning. So I could, I could, as an adult, mm, you could see it, but not as a seven year old, I could see it, but not as a seven year old or a 10 year old, but as an adult, I've bought a house for people. I've bought a cars, cars for people. And I'm like, you don't take care of what I've done for you. You, you know, so, so I, I get it, but it's like, we shouldn't make people feel like they have to do something for you in order to show you that they love you. Cause like you said, then it becomes performance. It's like, okay, well, if I get good grades, that'll show my parents that I appreciate them. Okay. If I make my bed and do all the dishes that lets them know that I love them versus I still love you even though my bed is unmade. So let's have the hug. Let's go do the bed together. You know, would a baby be there? Yes, 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 yes. I like that. I like that. So now it's like, you know, if I were to have children, I can, I can understand, like, I'm not, I don't want to let my little one feel like crap because they didn't make their bed and they still want to show me affection. Yes, you don't want to tie those two together. So you've you've identified an incredibly important concept, and that is that the whole emotional mind side shouldn't be tied into the external physical what we're doing. And we understand what you said. Your mom bought all those things because that was her way of trying to show you affection, but she hadn't bridged the gap. But as children, that gap is where we start. So it's almost as though if I listen to what you're saying and if I listen to just, you know, years and years of being in this is this world, there's the a child needs to have that emotional need, that mind stuff, the think, feel, choose stuff or that need met first before we can understand that the external physical I do yeah. this and this and this for you mm-hmm. is enough. It's not enough. It's definitely not enough. It's not enough just to have you know, if I think of my my dad was put in a boarding school at the age of four yeah. and I mean like he cried the first night, the whole night, and the nuns put him in a locked him in a cupboard as a four-year-old and he was for the rest of his life he was traumatized you know and my own husband Mac you know Mac was shifted chipped off to boarding school at five and didn't see his mom for a year and you know so just that's they were doing what they thought was the best was putting them in the best schools but it wasn't that way. It was we've got to recognize our kids don't need the stuff as much as they need us they need the hugs not the stuff they need the hugs not the stuff I mean when you think about it you know, you could buy 80 toys, but they're going to find that one toy to maybe play with. And but yet you're like, no, I got to get them all of this stuff. There's a documentary and it's about children and babies. And it's about a baby in San Francisco. It's about a baby in Africa and a baby in Japan. And you'll just begin to see the babies who have less are happier. 
It's like even a baby at a younger age, say here in America, you're already taught to compete. You're already taught to be aware when you didn't get a math problem right or something. But in other countries, these children, they are just so happy. One child was happy and he was eating dirt. I was like, no, the baby was happy. The baby was happy. The baby was happy. Playing and outside, but they were showing the contrast, you know. And so I just, I'm now, please, parents, I'm not saying. Cause see, I still like stuff. So yeah, it doesn't mean we don't like stuff, but it's the exactly, but it's the balance, Michelle. It's the hugs. It's, it's like give me it. Let's hug, 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 hug. Let's make your bed. You know, it's that yeah. hug, hug. Then make the bed together. So yeah. there's nothing wrong with the stuff, but it's the order of priority, and it's the vision of a child who's growing up is needing that that internal satisfied before you Absolute. give the external. And they or they need to understand it's not conditional. It's part of you know. And I think that's maybe what creates tremendous trauma in a child thinking that they have to perform to be able to get that acceptance, that most basic need of, of I need you and yeah. I accept you for who you are. Absolutely. And that's what that hug does. You know, that touch, a touch is, is, and I just say that because I just did a podcast on, to, on it today, but touch is our language of compassion. I notice that it's the language of compassion, but touch is literally the strongest language of compassion. It's the strongest way that we can show emotions and so on and things like that. So that hug can say, speak a thousand words. So picture does. It's a hug that's touch, you know, even just a tap. That's so amazing. So I would say, you know, for us to, you know, maybe check in with our children and check in with the with affection. If I am not mistaken, apparently a child needs about 10 hugs a day. Eight to ten hugs a day. We should be giving seven. It's, it's like seven is minimum. It hugs seven to ten hugs a day, and that should be like just par for par for the course. You know, as my kids are adults, and I still do it. I still go, and the ones that you know, some of my elderly elder kids don't like to be touched as much, but the younger, some of them do. So just it's personality as well. But there's still some touch, even if it's this. You know, even if it's the slightest tap, or it's oh, a connection. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's that connection. It's that checking in. It's I love you. You know, it's mm-hmm. how you doing a heart so text. Good. Yeah. That is so good, you know, and the the crazy thing is, you know, and then as children, as we get older, once we realize the emotional needs that, you know, we need, you know, it's probably our turn to show our parents, you know, hug the parent, you know, now that we're older, like, okay, now that my mother is older, she appreciates them more. Even though I could tell she's still a little reserved, but she welcomes them more. She says, I love you more. You know, as before, there was not even we could hang up the phone and not say I love you. We went years without uttering the word I love you. Michelle, I grew up with the same kind of thing. Very strict Catholic parents. My mother's parents were in the war. I mean, it's such a similar story. And also my mother, it's only now as an 85-year-old that my mom feels free enough when I phone her and I'll end the call with love you, mom. She'll say love you back you know so yeah it's it's really hard that verbalization but my kids and my husband have grown we do what we we do some of the things that our parents do unfortunately generational things come to come through but we do try and change it and that love you thing is something that i was determined to tell my kids constantly and to tell my husband and and so that's just in our family that love you is my sibling my kids the siblings say to each other love you every call every connection is ended with love you you know and it's they mean it so that's anyway that's 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 another i love that so 
that checking in, I love you. Is that part of the checking in that you've that, that is you part of the in your book? In. Absolutely. You know, checking in with others, you know, and so it's so easy for me to tell my best friend I love them versus a fa- actual family member, like, well, my mother or siblings. You know what I mean? So that's just something we have we are more intentional about doing and checking in with others and you know, also making sure that you have safe people to check in with in the others, you know, and so I'm daily even intentional about when I check in with myself, like, am I a safe person that others can check in with? That's beautiful. I love that. Let's track back to the seven-year-old, to the that time in your, in your mm-hmm. life where that started. Do you, at this stage now, as a 41-year-old, and you look back at your inner child of a seven-year-old, do you see where the depression was starting? Was it around this because depression is a symptom of an underlying cause, as you and I have discussed so many yeah, times. I want to say it was definitely, there were some rough moments in our household. You know, money just can just tear a household up. The lack of, you know, finances and provision and parents not knowing how to communicate with each other. They forget that the kids are around and just start going bonkers. And so that's traumatic. That can be traumatic for a child when, you know, you hear the voices raised, things being slammed or name calling or whatever. You're like, oh my gosh, what in the world is going on? And so I think for me, once I became aware, just kind of, you know, I think in marriage, you know, with my parents' marriage, they were married 46 years up until my dad's passing this past December. So they made it work. And, you know, in the past 15 years of their marriage was just absolutely beautiful. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, so it, you, you, saw, know, you saw restoration in your lifetime, which yeah, is so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I just want to encourage people out there, even children who are maybe having a hard time forgiving their parents because maybe you felt like your parents fought too much or they didn't make the household safe and secure. But, you know, you just never know if you, you know, if you keep keep living, as my mother would say, you will understand maybe obviously they didn't have the right tools. And then, too, when growing up in church, it, it depends on especially in the Pentecostal church, maybe you're not taught to even go to counseling. Yeah. Yeah. It's all suppressed. You talk about that in your book about yeah. the, you know, not to talk about depression and not to yeah, talk about it because that's yeah. now you're not faithful enough or you haven't said enough prayers or you haven't Absolutely. read your Bible. Enough. So there's a lot of religious guilt. Absolutely. Or people will go to counseling if the thought of divorce comes up versus Let's go to counseling because we can't seem to get over this issue that keeps coming up in discussion versus waiting till you're darn near divorced to want to go to counseling or you're going to counseling to figure out how to separate your assets. Oh, <laughs> so instead of at the end, do it preventatively, be proactive. Yeah. And so I can imagine you know, if my parents were able to do that, we probably would have seen some bliss earlier on in their relationship. But I think now they would be open to it because it's talked about more and it's more widely accepted. Yes. 
It um, has changed. That's yeah. been a very positive thing with mental yeah. health is the openness now to, you know, there's, there's all the good and the bad stuff, which you and I have many discussions of, but the openness to talking. Yeah, yeah. And anybody listening, you know, don't beat yourself up. Like I said, for the last 15 years of my parents' marriage, I saw, you know, bliss. I saw my dad just reaching out his hand to my mother, being so affectionate. You know, he had a stroke in 2005, and so he couldn't walk or talk, but he was very coherent. And to me, like, because he couldn't talk, somehow it amplified his emotions and his affection. And so he had to show through touch. Compassion, the language of compassion. He had to show through touch. And I could just tell he loved when we came around and he was so happy. And, you know, my mother, you know, with her being a registered nurse, he was getting 24 hour round the clock, seven day a week care. And so their relationship is like they fell in love again. Oh, that's beautiful. So you you saw that you saw that. So that's brought healing to yourself. Yeah, yeah, it did. And so, like I said, there are folks listening and it's like, you know, when are you going to, you know, stop being upset with your parents? For maybe the household being a little having there's some turmoil in the house. Now, I'm not saying it's hard to forgive, especially when when you were probably the recipient of some abuse verbally, physically, and even I'll go for even further on to say sexually. So it's it's hard to maybe you want to forgive your parents for any abuse that, you know, may have been inflicted. But when you see them making a turnaround, maybe you can say, huh, maybe there is something to this forgiveness thing, you know? And I also, that's an issue in the book that I talk about as far as forgiveness as well, what that can do to the mind and your spirit, you know, and just like, just because you can forgive the abuser, but that doesn't mean Y'all are going to go take a walk in the park. You might not feel safe, but you like, you know, I'm going to forgive you to release the shame and the weight of my heart because forgiveness can feel like a weight on your chest. And you can just say, you know what? I'm going to choose to forgive this person and just walk, walk through life, you know, and it doesn't have to be a phone call you make to the person. It's just a choice. It's a choice. That's very powerful. It's a choice. It's a release for you. It's, a, it's, it's, it's letting that disconnect between you and that toxic person. And it's a real physical thing that happens. And it's a very spiritual thing. It's happening on both levels. So it's so yeah. important. Mm-hmm. So it's checking in with yourself. To, to you hear you talking about checking in with, with yourself to see if you've done the forgiveness. And I love how you talk about the fact that, you know, our parents are doing what they, a lot of parents have good intentions and have done the best with what they can, but they've made so many mistakes. And unfortunately, I mean, I'm a mother of four. I said I wouldn't do what my mother did and I've done my own. Maybe mm-hmm. not what she's done, but I've done my own mistakes and my kids won't do what I do. It's just how it goes. And we can get better and better each generation. And we definitely have hit an era in a sort of generation where I feel like I listen to my kids more than like my mom would say to me, why are you saying sorry to your kids? And why are you letting your kids tell you things? I said, because that's how I learned to be a better person. But for her, that was such a foreign thing. As the authority person, you actually just instructed Uh your kids what to do. Whereas I've never had that philosophy. My kids have always been able to tell me what I do wrong. And that makes parenting more challenging, but it makes parenting more effective because you can actually try and fix the problems that you have made in your kids' lives. Because no matter how good you think you are, you've messed up your kids' lives in some way. So you have to teach yourself 
yourself, how do you, you know, create the openness so that you can work through what you did where you could look back at your parents? Yeah. And I've seen many parents say, either I've seen it in comments or I've heard them say, parenting did not come with the manual. Oh, gosh, no. It's the most difficult thing you can ever do. So as I get older, you know, I'm just like, you know what? All right. It is what it is. But some of that did contribute to my depression, especially because I didn't know who to go to to talk about it. My mother's brother was our pastor. And it's like, well, would I be telling him our family business? You know, you're like, who do I go to talk to? Who do I without feeling like I'm dishonoring my parents by sharing, hey, there was an argument and it was really scary for me. So I had to hold it all in because I didn't want to bring shame to our house, especially in, in church. All the siblings go to the church. They're all in positions in the church. And you would think that those are the safest people you can talk to. But then again, you just maybe I was overthinking or feeling like, well, I, I don't want to bring shame or you're not, you're not supposed to air the dirty laundry. So just get in the choir and put put your robe on and get in the choir stand and sing. I actually write I write that in the book how I had to get in the choir and just sing as if a horrible argument that I witnessed just didn't take place. That was oh, really- wow. That creates so much cognitive dissonance in you. You know, you and I have spoken so much about what that does with the toxic thoughts and, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the whole thing. And so you, so basically what you are saying in a nutshell, if I can just like, sorry, I didn't interrupt you, but no, just for the okay. viewers and the mm-hmm. listeners, the suppression of things, you, the conflict, I mean, you, you've got to be the certain way because of the pastors and the church and the siblings and, but you deep down inside, oh, you didn't know how to process. So you actually suppress and that suppression, you can't suppress because it's real. It's in your brain. It's in your body. It's in your my, that suppression exploded mm-hmm. in the depression because yeah. it's a conflict and there's that guilt. I, could, I don't want to let them down. I love my parents, but who do I talk to? How do I, and how do you know how to process something as a seven-year-old when your parents have had a fight and there's a yeah. financial issue or whatever's going on? How does mm-hmm. a six-year-old or a five-year-old, a two-year-old, a t- 12, a 14, a 15, yeah. how yeah. do you know how to process it? Mm-hmm. You don't know how to process it. So that's just one more thing you just bury and yeah. just... You know, and then it erupts somewhere down the it's line. Volcanic. It's volcanic mm-hmm. in nature. Yep. Somewhere the volcano explodes. Yep. You just and don't 20- know when it's going to, but it will. And in 2018, it exploded and you were well, just before and you just and you checked yourself in. And that checking in was a big decision. I remember you telling me about how you couldn't even get out of bed at one yep. point. Do you want to talk about yep. that? Just talk. Let's talk about that point where you shifted. The the first major depressive moment was between 2012, like 2012. And I remember speaking about it in 2013 and, you know, I went on to manage it. Okay. And, you know, get some therapy and, well, you know, still some ups and downs. But then in 2018, I realized, okay, you really aren't healed. You really are just getting healed enough to go back to work. Healed enough to just get by. But 2018 was a pivotal year. Like, no, you're, I'm like, I am probably going to have to take some time off. Even if it means resetting, even if it means losing out on major opportunities, I want to be here to get more opportunities. I feel like, you know, opportunities will come, especially when I've had to take the time off. I feel like, I will attract back 
because of the work that I'm putting out there, the seeds that I'm sowing now from a better whole emotional place, you know, more whole and healed. So 2018 was a wake up call for me to take some time off. And in 2019, I did just that. I took the entire year off. I did like two major things, which was the masked singer. Yes, which was beautiful. That was easy. I didn't have to have hair and makeup on under those masks. (laughs) I I could just go to work and nobody knew who I was. So that 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 probably was healing. You know, like I go through life. Nobody know who I am. Nobody judging. And then I did a Christmas musical towards the end of the year because like, well, it's the holidays. But for the majority of 2019, I took a lot of time off. And in 2020, we had no choice. So in 2020, definite intentional work that we were afforded the opportunity to be able to do. Exactly. Yeah. So I think which has made 2021 a little brighter. You know, we're all kind of still unsure of what 2021 holds, you know, but taking things a day at a time and pacing myself. And I'm like, it's looking way brighter than 2018. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And, and that's so encouraging and hopeful for people that they're checking in with yourself, that you gave yourself permission to take the time out to check in with yourself. Because the op- and you said another beautiful thing, which and very important thing is that opportunities will always present. And we in such a hurry, sickness, externalized, externally driven world where we feel every opportunity has to be taken or we're missing out on something. And, you know, instead of taking sometimes times to process that maybe that opportunity is just not good now because it's, you, you just physically and mentally aren't able to do that. But there'll be another one down the line and not living with regret. That's That takes a tremendous amount of shifting in one's thinking to do, especially yeah. when you are a successful yeah. businesswoman, which you are. I know you're a singer, but you're, you're, a, you're a success in your, in your career. So for you to turn down an opportunity to be able to check in with yourself is a huge deal. And, and I know it was. I know having spoken to you, but it was such a valuable it, it shifted your life perspective it Absolutely. gave you perspective and you talk about that in the book about you know you you talk about getting perspective when you check in with people when you check in with yourself can you talk a little bit about that absolutely you know 2020 forced us to really try to be a little more intentional because first of all i'm a homebody so when they told us lock down and be, stay in your houses i was like that's fine with me because i was home anyway yeah <laughs> you know so it was but, perfect. Yeah, but to be more intentional about checking in with others and not being so selfish, not not expecting everybody to I was it's kind of like you like you're expecting everybody to check in with you. Like I'm waiting for my phone to ring. Well, no, sending a text to somebody just let them know, "Hey, I'm thinking of you, praying for you, and keep it moving." And sometimes, you know, people could go be going through their own things, so even if they don't respond, Nine times out of 10, they, they, they see it, you know, but they might've been too busy to respond or you just never know. I know I, there are many times where I was just so weak emotionally that I didn't have the strength to, yeah, to respond, respond, but you appreciated the text, but I appreciated the text. So to anybody out there as well, you know, whether you're the recipient of the text, don't feel forced to have to respond to every message, but when you can, just say, oh my gosh, even a week or two later, I'm so sorry. I was whatever, whatever, but thank you. I saw your message and vice versa to the person sending the text message or the phone call and somebody doesn't respond. Just know that they see it and 
it's needed more than you know. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. You talk about another concept in your book about having a bruise, like when you get a bruise on your leg, you, you felt like your heart was bruised and you talk a little bit about the story with Nathan with the work situation. And then there was someone else who was a potential relationship. And you talk about how it affected your self-esteem and you, you made a little list of mm. I am shame and those yeah. kind of things. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about that because this this depression, we've spoken about the general depression, but it translated into, I hear you're a beautiful, successful woman and, you know, part of Destiny's child when it was, you know, when you were part of Destiny's child and you've continued to go on. So people would look at you and you've had, I know, you've had this i know you've had people commenting and we've discussed this before you're beautiful you've got everything you've got you know wealth whatever famous but why are you complaining kind of thing but you deep down inside had a you had a bruised heart you felt that heaviness you felt that okay so talk about yeah that that bruised heart or or feeling like man there are some people close to you that are kind of making those lies that you believe about yourself ring true you know, because they have their own agenda. And so you kind of see yourself as not valuable. If you feel like someone close to you has taken advantage of you, it's like, why would you use me? Why would you want to take advantage of me? Or, or why would you keep me in the dark about something? Am I not valuable enough to you to keep it real with me? So that's a lie you believe. I'm not valuable. So you add that to the other sticky pads in your imaginary mirror. Okay, I'm not valuable. Okay, now you're like, okay, I'm not valuable. No one's going to love me, you know, or I don't sing good enough, or I'm not as pretty as the others. All these labels and lies that you believe, they're lies. They're certainly lies. Because first of all, none of these negative things that I've ever said about myself, they're not even rooted in the word of God. They're, they're contrary to what God thinks of us. Exactly. And that's the checking with God, but. Yeah. And so it's intentional. I literally am looking at my mirror right now because I'm like, you know, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And I have that scripture written on my mirror. So it's like, okay, what am I going to make sure that I'm always speaking life to speaking life in situations, speaking life into people and life into myself. So you'll see on my mirrors, I am enough. I have what it takes. I am lovable. You know, even with my quirky self, I am. (laughs) You are very lovable. Let me affirm that, my friend. (laughs) But you had to believe it. You had to believe it. So what you to believe it. And your posture changes when you believe it. You're how you walk changes when you believe it what you decide to entertain when you believe it changes you don't entertain negative self-talk you don't even let people talk about them talk down about themselves just the other day i had to tell somebody hey stop doing all that negative self-talk about yourself Mm, that's amazing one of the upsides from this recent pandemic is i get to do many of my interviews and much of my work in my pajamas But the downside of working from home, I feel like now more than ever I am constantly looking at a screen and my eyes have been really straining, which has been causing so many headaches. If this sounds like a familiar struggle in your life, I've got the answer for you. Blue light blocking glasses from Blue Blocks. Blue light damages our eyes and leads to digital eye strain. Symptoms of digital eye strain are blurred vision, headaches and dry watery eyes. 
For some, this could even cause heightened anxiety, depression, and low energy. Well, Blue Blocks was created to fix this problem and block out the blue light with high-quality lenses. Unlike other types of blue light glasses, Blue Blocks are evidence-based and made under optics laboratory conditions in Australia. They have 40 hip frames and come in prescription, non-prescription, and readers. So they have frames for every need. Blue Blocks is also giving back by working in partnership with Restoring Vision in their Buy One Gift One campaign. For each pair of Blue Blocks glasses purchased, they donate a pair of reading glasses to someone in need. I also really love Blue Blocks' Remedy Sleep Mask, which uses the most sophisticated design methodology to create a comfortable, 100% light-blocking eye mask for improved REM and deep sleep. Get started today with your Blue Blocks glasses and I promise it will change your life. And just for my listeners, get 15% off your order with the code DrLeaf at blueblocks.com. That's the code DrLeaf at B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. If you are a fan of cleaning up the mental mess, you know how important a good night's sleep is for your mental health. It helps keep your mind clean, detoxes the brain, and gets you ready mentally and physically for the next day. Sleep is pretty amazing. And one of the best ways I make sure that I get much needed shut eye is making sure my mattress meets all my needs while I sleep. This is why I love Birch, a company that makes certified, organic, sustainable, ethically produced, 100% recyclable, hyperallergenic, non-toxic and chemical-free mattresses that are great for your conscience and for your comfort. With Birch, You never have to choose between good materials and a good night's sleep. I have never felt better in the morning. And my husband Mac loves how he stays cool and comfortable all night long. The mattress is a perfect blend of soft comfort and support for us both. And the best thing about Birch is that you don't have to visit a mattress store and get overwhelmed by too many choices, fabrics or materials, or wait weeks for your mattress to be delivered. They make the mattresses right here in America and ship them straight to your door with no contact delivery, free shipping and free returns. But don't just take my word for it. You can try Birch mattresses for 100% nights, risk-free and will receive a full refund if you are not happy with the product. Plus, all their mattresses come with a 25-year warranty. So, if you're looking for a new mattress, check out birchliving.com slash drleaf. Birch is giving $200 off all mattresses and two free Echo Rest pillows at birchliving.com slash drleaf. That's $200 off all mattress orders and two free Echo Rest pillows. The link and offer details are in the show notes. Okay, so you've said something so powerful and valuable, and that's that, you know, how to see yourself and how they lies. But you also say something in your book, and I want to now bridge a gap for people. You say something in your book about how you knew what to do, but you didn't, weren't doing it. And there was, I think it was around the situation with Nathan and your mom, mm-hmm. whatever, and that bruising your heart. And Nathan was the fictitious person you created. I mean, the <laughs> fictitious the name, the pseudonym, yeah. pseudonym. So you can, there's a lot out there of positive affirmations. There's a lot of women's conferences that you now, you sing there, I talk there, you talk there, where mm-hmm. they'll say, I am this, I, and they stand up and declare it. We know that the positive affirmation, but if you just say it, it's a band-aid on a wound. It's not going to, it's it's just chopping the head off the, the, the weed. Yeah. It's going to grow back. So yeah. what is the bridge, Michelle, that you crossed between 
recognizing that I am valuable is true from I am not valuable because there's a bridge. Because we, we know, we, we can be told a million times, I can tell you a million times you are valuable and you're amazing. Yeah. But yeah. until you believe it. So what is that bridge? How do you get from knowing that I am but actually believing? Because that's the hard part for anyone to it's try. It's just, and- yeah, knowing and believing even when you don't feel it right away. That's good because your non-conscious mind and body actually know it first anyway. Yeah. And so then you almost work yourself up to where now I literally sit and make myself feel what it's like to feel loved. What would you feel like if the love of your life took you on a trip and y'all are on a beach and you're holding hands? You'd feel secure. Ooey gooey. Ooh. How would you feel if you got that phone call and they accepted your proposal or a grant just got accepted, how would you feel? How would you feel when you actually decide to believe the words that you say at every conference? Now, you better stop wasting your money at these conferences if you're not going to believe folks are saying you might as well stay at home, but start just believing just start feeling. And I'm telling you, I literally put on music. If people lived with me, they'd laugh at me because I dance. I literally shake my butt. And I'm and before you know it, it makes me laugh. I'm in it. It's like, what in the world am I doing? You know, and so it's just something that I do as soon as I get up in the morning, I put my music on and I make sure it goes into the speaker, into the kitchen so that it's permeating through the house. I get up, I make my bed and, you know, because even stuff like that, making sure that I make my bed every day, no matter what. What? It's, it's, a, it's so, a step. Why do you do that? Tell me why you do that. Well, first of all, I mean, I, I look at my bed now and it just looks so nice and tidy. You know, I don't put as many pillows on there as I used to because I was like, okay, now putting on these pillows, having to put all these pillows back early in the morning is wearing me out. Too much work. <laughs> Too much work. So I put the pillows on that matter and a c- couple decorative pillows. But I don't know, it's something about walking into my room and just looking at something tidy and organized. It- but there was a time you didn't do that. I mean, look, I mean, my own mama would tell you that I didn't make my bed. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, if you make your bed, remember. So so there was some truth to that. But now it's so funny because she'd be so proud if she walk into my home and be like, it's so tidy in here. I wish you were like this when you were younger. It's like when we're young, we're not thinking of you're not thinking of making beds and tidy rooms. No, it's not a relevant thing. No, but, you know, unless it was a Saturday where she really said, okay, before y'all watch cartoons this morning, you got to clean your room. Okay. But I don't know. It's just something about it makes me feel good. Maybe it's a part of self-care, you know, but there was a time where all I could do was lay in the bed. There was a time where the dishes piled up. There was a time where I didn't take a shower. Depression. Depression is make you stink. It have it, 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 you know, and so that's why sometimes I was so happy with the physician that said, "Hey, at least get up in the morning, make some oatmeal." He said, "Even if you got to get back in the bed, just do something." So I tell people, even if it's you feel like you brush your teeth and take a shower, 
my mother always made us feel like showers make everything better. Like, mom, I have a concussion. Oh, take a shower. (laughs) (laughs) The universal remedy. (laughs) The universal remedy. But I tell people, even if all you can do is take a shower, put some moisturizer on and crawl back into the bed, do something. I'm not telling you to go try to conquer the world, but just certain things that you can do. And before you know it, one step at a time. But I think for me, my wake up call was when I realized each time that I had sunk into a depression, a feeling just never came over me that said, get up. If it was up to us, we'd all just want to lay down for the rest of our day. But there are times where you're not going to feel like it, but it's in the doing that you're like, oh, I love working out now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So it's to start that it's, that's just to get it going. So it's like your, cause your non-conscious mind and your body know before your conscious mind. So we have to yeah. get the non, we have to get that non-conscious conscious mind. It's the non-conscious yeah. mind that recognizes the mess. It's got the wiseness in it and all that. Oh, this is beautiful. So get, it's the doing that's incredibly important. Michelle, I just want to respect your time because I know you've got a lot of interviews mm. that you're doing with your book tour. Thank and I'm so excited about this book. Have you got time for one more question? I, I do. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. So I want to ask you about, did you talk about relationships a lot and you talk about the relationship when you were at work with someone was working with you and they broke your trust Mm -hmm. and then you also talk about love relationships and where you're at today so I know those are two quite loaded questions so you can answer them anyway but I know that they're questions that people would you I know you can speak to people's hearts on that and really advise them you know what you know when I look back at relationships that I've been in it really is a testament to who, who I thought of myself to be You know, feeling like, well, this person pursued me. Yeah, but were they worth my time? You know, were they worth me? And, you know, probably not. But there was just something in me longing for connection, you know, longing for affection, longing for affirmation. And I really tried to seek them out in relationships, even to the point, you know, in 2018, I was engaged to someone that was just amazing, the love of my life. And I'm like, wow, for all the mess ups of past relationships, this is really the one, you know, and then that didn't work out. And so it, it all, I almost started to just even settle and say, maybe I'm not cut out for relationships, but, you know, I'm just taking this time to just, you know, really do some work. And I think we will attract things when, when we're not so desperate for them. Because when you're desperate for a relationship, desperate for love, you'll choose out of a deficit. You uh, know? That's so good. That's incredible. And when someone's broken your trust, like in a, in, in a work relationship or something, because I know you've been through a couple of things yeah, like that. Yeah, how and do you- yeah. That, that thing with the work relationship, and that was so hard for me to even let that person go because I still have to, I still have some dealings with that person from time to time. But we have made up. We got we we got understanding because sometimes you have to get down to the root of why a person uh, makes certain choices. You know, this person was feeling like they weren't at a place in their career that they wanted to be. So they felt like, let me sneak and do something on the side. You know what I mean? And so it's like I for since I it's been years since I have, you know, forgiven that person, you know, especially when you're able to have an adult conversation and just get to the why, 
why do we, why did you do this? Or why did I respond in the way that I responded? Because I was really upset at this person for just kind of betraying my trust, but God had a way of exposing that thing. It was actually quite hilarious now that I think about it. Like, you know, so how I found out of how this person betrayed my trust is in the book. Yes. And they can get that. You can, exactly. I would just say, you guys go to checkingInbook.com. Yeah. And get the book. And I want to say that that's where can people get hold of you, Michelle? Where can they get the yeah. book? And tell us about all of that. I can be found on Instagram, just simply at Michelle Williams or Facebook.com slash Michelle Williams. And then the website, checkinginbook.com. And it'll give you all the links to my book. You'll get some downloadable affirmations because like I said, I speak affirmations every single day. I just want you to check in and, and tell me your thoughts. And my, my, my prayer is that I just make impact, inspire and empower. And you will do. This book is a must-have. It's absolutely beautifully written. It's from your heart. And it's filled with lessons. (laughs) She writes something for me with the book. So even if you just buy it because you want to see what Dr. Lee said about (laughs) the What you what you say is so much more weighty. You have it's filled with life lessons. It's filled with humor, life lessons, beautifully written, honest. This is a it's it's excellent to help you just manage your mind and move forward. Get this book. You cannot not get this book. We all need to check in. Michelle, you really teach us how to check in. I love that. I think the the title of the book just captures what you're trying to do with mental health, Mm -hmm. which is get people to check in with yourself, check in with others, check in with God. It's beautifully written. It's a must-have book. It's a wonderful gift for other people to do. You know, people often say, What can I do to help? someone who's battling this is the kind of book you can give to give to someone who's battling they can read through that i was just thinking of that actually this morning i was thinking hey i want to give this book to someone that i know would actually really benefit from just hearing these stories because you tell your stories you relate them and you still and you teach people stuff Mm. thank you michelle we'll put all those links in our show notes and we're going to wrap up with a very 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 quick just question i ask everyone how do you clean up your mental mess you know (laughs) this is cleaning up your mental mess podcast i've got to ask that question (laughs) How do I clean up my mental mess is first of all, just being self-aware and realizing what's some, what is truth and what are lies. And that's one of the main things to help clean up my mental mess and to always remember my five steps. In the neural cycle. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, Michelle, you are just my, you just my best. I love talking to you. I, I don't, I never like saying goodbye, but it's never goodbye. To au revoir. Till we meet again, till we talk again, and we're going to talk again soon. Thank you for giving us your pearls of wisdom. Thank you for writing this book. Thank, Thank you for being you. my friend. Thank you for being you. You're valuable you. and you're amazing. I've got so, you guys, Dr. Leaf is the author of 19 books. <laughs> You don't get one. So, you know, Dr. Leaf is just such an inspiration and such a light to this entire world and earth. And so thank you guys for letting me come in to y'all space. And so I'm excited to check in with you guys again. Absolutely. We've got to have you back on the podcast lots and lots and lots of times to carry on talking about all these amazing things. And you just in such a light to everyone as well. Thank you for teaching us how to check in, my friend. And I know right now you need to check out. So thanks for joining us. <laughs> and bye-bye, everyone. You, Don't forget to guys. check in and check out. See you next week. Bye. bye. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter 
where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.